sometimes when somebody dies, you just kind of want to move away and just rediscover yourself. That's what I did. everybody welcome back to tales from the journey i'm stephanie zamora and today we are chatting with martika wiley who is an author podcaster and grief counselor and has a pretty incredible journey of her own coming back after loss of some loved ones and has a book out having fun with god which i'm sure we'll talk about but martika thank you so much for being here well thank you for having me stephanie i'm honored yeah i would love to start with you just sharing a little bit more about who you are and what it is that you do Uh, Well, uh, who I used to be was somebody that was kind of a mess growing up. I experienced death when I was 15. It was a pretty hard blow. I was, my mom committed suicide and we were very close and I moved away from there into other family up north. But since that, I had many different jobs and moved around quite a bit. And it wasn't until I wrote the book, Having Fun with God, that I finally figured out what I wanted to do or be when I grew up. Only took like 40 years, but (laughs) (laughs) they say to find your purpose. And then somebody said, let your purpose find you. And that's exactly what happened with me. And so it was just kind of automatic with the writing. And I didn't realize how therapeutic it could be. And I went, figured out how I would self-publish it and asked around how to get it out there and all that kind of stuff. And so... One thing led to another. I had a mentor said, well, podcasting is a great way to get your message out there. And by this time, I wasn't even all that so hopped up to sell the book or get it out there. I thought, you know what, I can help people really with grief because I've dealt with that. And after a lot of being still and meditating, that little voice said, well, you know a lot about death and loss. And at first I ignored it. I ignored it for a long time because I did not want to teach about death and loss. It's really depressing. No one wants to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about it, especially after I was actually having fun with life, after I've gotten over all of the the trauma, the pain, all the stages of grief, which I learned later on. I didn't know that at first. Once I knew there were stages, it became a lot easier to grieve. But now I'm just in the midst of getting this going and just really helping more people on a a different platform as opposed to one-on-one with people. It's mostly coworkers, friends, family members. And then I realized I have been helping people grieve and just didn't realize it until somebody else pointed it out. Well, you know, you could just keep doing that. And I find it rewarding. I've been there and I know what it's like to be suicidal after somebody close to you dies and what to do, what sort of techniques that helped me get over the grief. Of course, even though I'm an expert at it, I if somebody close to me dies, it's still the same thing over again. And then I'm, I'm needing the help. You know, we all need help every now and again when it comes to difficult situations. It's so true. And I, I would be guessing, but I would imagine that when you were 15, you didn't think that this is what you would end up doing with your life. Did you know who you wanted to be before your loss or were you just? Oh yeah. I was going to be a singer. I produced some songs in the the entertainment industry. My father was an entertainer and he was very successful in what he did. He was a limbo dancer from the islands, from the Bahamas, Nassau Bahamas. And he traveled the world. He sang some songs and he encouraged me to go that path. And I don't think my mom was all that keen about it, but 
I just thought that was my passion. I worked on movie sets just as an extra background, but still just getting my feet in the water and then just, you know, death after death after death. And it was just, just trying to find a reason to live, let alone cut albums and trying to get record deals or get seat noticed on the screen or whatever. That just all, I took a different turn. I just started to really ask why this was happening. You know, I questioned God, does God exist? And if so, why is he so mean? And why am I still alive? How come I'm not gone? Because I was suicidal. I did attempt suicide a few times. But there was always some kind of divine intervention to prevent me from it. So I thought that was a blessing and a curse. Because, of course, I didn't share it with anybody because you can't go to the doctor. Well, I can't kill myself. I, I'm having a hard time doing it. Like, right. they wouldn't, they wouldn't take, they'd probably lock me up <laughs> if I did that. Actually, they do. I heard that they do that. So, um, and then, you know, for 72 hours, they put you in a room and uh, kind of monitor you for a while. But yeah, no, I'm living a very, my life is so much different now. Of course, it took a lot of counseling, understanding technique, crying, music, traveling, going to different places, and a lot of soul searching, a lot of soul searching. Absolutely. I would love to hear as much as you're willing to share about that experience when you were 15 and what it was like for you to experience grief and loss at such a young age and someone so close to you. Well, yeah, it, it was sudden, although I knew something. My, my mom had remarried my stepfather when I was 10 years old. And that was a marriage that wasn't working out. He was abusive. I wanted to tell her, don't marry this guy. But she was very happy. And I was happy that she was happy. And so I guess she didn't see any alternative out of that marriage, because being in a Catholic religion, divorce is a sin. And I believe she went to our priest in confession. Of course, I just kind of knew this as I was writing, that she was told that divorce is a sin and encouraged not to go through it. And so when you're not sure what to do when you're in an abusive situation, I guess she thought taking her own life would be the best way to go. And and of course, that forced me to move in with family. So I wasn't with my stepfather who was abusive. But yeah, it was really tough. I did a lot of crying. I was 15. So, you know, you're a teenager. I, I could have turned to drugs and alcohol, like heavy, heavy, heavy. But I didn't. And I believe the reason why I didn't do it is because my mom was with me in spirit. Uh, as we were coming out of the church, out of the, her memorial service, one of my friend's mom grabbed me as we were coming out and she pulled me aside. She said, do you believe in angels? And I said, yeah. She says, do you know that we all have a guardian angel with us? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, now you have another one, your mom. And I just wanted you to know that, she said. And I said, okay. And I walked out, continued walking out, and my eyes widened because thinking, oh, my God, she's watching me. (laughs) Now I can't get away with anything. As a child, you know, I got away with a lot of stuff, but I couldn't now. And I always kind of knew that. And just kind of deep down, I kind of knew that. So I never really did much. I mean, I try drinking alcohol, you know, when you're 16 with a beer or you have a couple beers, you know, you get drunk off two beers or hungover. And, but yeah, I was always kind of like, she's watching. I, I kind of can sense that, but now I know she's watching. No, very much so she's been with me. I've seen her in dreams. 
and I just can sense it. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounded like it had a, a pretty huge impact on your own mental health or did you, were you experiencing that before the loss? No, I was very happy, even though I, she was in a marriage that she didn't like. It was the house, the 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 homestead was not. I used to I used to hate going home from school. I used to love going to school. I'd wake up in the morning, so excited to see my friends, but then coming home was like you could feel the tension, you know. And I was like, just divorce him. Like I would like just be praying just to divorce him because he was not good any of us but yeah so then after that I was very angry of course I was in denial because I didn't see her body after she died and so because I didn't see her after she died I just figured maybe she faked her own death to get away from him and then she'll come back and say hey coast is clear we can be together again (laughs) but none of that happened I was in denial for a very long time and then I didn't even know that there were stages until I was 23 so like eight years later I'm learning that there are grief stages I'm like, oh, once I learned that there are grief stages, the grieving process became so much easier for me. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I was angry. That's why I was being like that. I wasn't just being a rebellious teenager. I was actually going through the anger stage. And then all the other stages that you go through. But as time went on and just reading, reading about life after death, where did, you know, where did she go? I wanted to know where she went. But the dreams, and of course, being open to that sort of thing, because I know people that have lost somebody close to them, they don't want to see them afterwards, because it just makes them uneasy. For me, I wanted to know where she was. I wanted to see her. And I've seen her a few times in dreams. I know she's with me in spirit. They'll say sometimes the flickering of lights, the the lights would flicker. I'd see dimes, the odd feather. And when I acknowledge her, like I, the more I acknowledge her, the less I'm seeing all these signs only because I think she's like, oh, okay, she finally sees me. I don't have to keep flicking the lights on and off or throwing dimes at her feet, you know, (laughs) that sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah. The stages of grief. I didn't learn about them until after my loss, but I had heard before about the denial that comes from not seeing the body. And so when I went to the memorial of my ex who committed suicide after we split up, it wasn't in the main room, but he was down around the hall. And I was like, I have to, I have to see him. I have to see his body because I was so scared that I would be in denial. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine what that's like. Well, you know what? I'll tell you, I, I, I had not, I, I knew nothing about death. I knew nothing about grief when I experienced it. And it wasn't until later on in life, I mean, much, much later in my 30s now, that I'm watching a show called Beyond Chance. It was an American show um, about, I guess, things that are slightly unexplained. And uh, the zoo was having trouble with their elephants. They couldn't figure out, the zookeepers couldn't figure out why they were being unruly. They weren't doing what they were told. They were being just really difficult. And so they're trying to figure out, you know, who can we bring in to help with the elephants? And one of the zookeepers knew of this one lady that uh, talks to animals. They called her in and she, when she went to the elephant uh, uh, section, they all came to her. They must have known since that she was there to help. And they, the elephants told this lady that one of their relatives died and they took the body away without letting them grieve first 
They said, in order for us to have closure, which is part of the grieving process, we need to see the body in order to have peace of mind. Now, let me tell you something, Stephanie. That's the first time I've ever heard that. You know how many psychologists and counselors I went to after my mom died? Did you see the body? No. Okay, you're, you're, you're screwed. I mean, that would have been better than nothing because I, I was, couldn't figure out why I was so restless and reckless for a long time because I did not see your body. It could not get closure. I didn't get closure. I finally got that closure when my cousin Nikki died. She committed suicide <clears throat> when she was 15. Uh, hung herself, saw her there. And I, I wanted to know why I had experienced that. I was very angry with God. Why my book's called Having Fun with God. Um, very angry with the creator of all things, why I had experienced, because I, I was messed up, if you could say there. And uh, what came to me in that moment was a scene, if you will, a picture of that show, of that elephant, the lady helping the elephant. And that's when I understood I needed to see Nikki's body, even though it wasn't my mom's, because my mom was cremated really shortly after she died. My stepfather, the whole thing was really sketchy, like why he would cremate her so quickly because there was speculation that he murdered her. But yeah, that, that gave me closure, even though it was a very un unpleasant experience to see somebody's body. But yeah, it, it, you have to see it to give closure. But of course, they don't teach you this in school. I had to learn it the hard way. And, and I do believe in meditation, listening to that inner voice. And so I would sit very still and ask spirit, what do I need to do? How could I serve? Especially when I've come to a certain point in my life, I'm not sure which way to go. So I'll ask for the guidance. And, you know, death and loss kept coming up again the fifth or sixth time. I'm like, okay, all right, already, I'll do it. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you got me fine. I, I think I owe you a favor too, because I, I shouldn't be here. I mean... It's not really hard to take a step and fall 20 stories, right? But then this force pushed me back. And then I kind of, it was like a surreal kind of experience where, wow, I, I, if I had died, that would have been kind of like a, it's a wonderful life experience. That's how I felt coming out of there. Like we don't think we're important. We think we're so insignificant and we all are so vital. We're so important. And we're not told that every single day. And but we are, we're so important and vital. Yeah. So it sounds like when you were going to commit suicide, you were going to jump. How old were you? I was 15. It was just a week after my mom died. And I just didn't want to be, I couldn't imagine being in this world without her. And I didn't want to be left with my stepfather because I was going to kill him. Like literally, I had premeditated thoughts of killing him. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what led you or who helped you? I know you said you had a lot of support and you did find resources over time, but when were you introduced to having a support system, whether it was counselors or community or anything else? Well, the vice principal, or I think, yeah, she was the vice principal of my high school was very helpful. Miss Glaze, Glaze was her name. And she wasn't a school counselor, but she was there in the room to tell me, sweetheart, your mother's no longer with us. So she took it upon herself to open her door anytime I needed, just to cry. It's really good to cry. She would cry with me. And of course, when my mom died, I inherited five moms, five moms, two aunts helped raise me. 
One of my mom's best friends, she helped raise me. And then my stepfather's first wife, she was there for me. And so you don't realize it at the time until you look back on all the blessings, right? Yeah. So five moms at the age of 15 is a lot, (laughs) a lot of moms. But it's cool because, you know, one mom doesn't approve of one thing. The other mom usually does. <laughs> okay, I know smoking is a bad habit, but you're 15, 16, you know, you may as well get, you know, whatever. Just some of them were like that while others were no, right? So I had a wide range of who I could speak to. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's so much. And so I know you said you had quite a few more losses after your mom and your cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my Nana died like two years after my mom, I think, of an asthma attack. But I think it was mostly emotional. I think she felt guilty because her daughter, my my mom, crying for help. But they just didn't see it was so serious. You know, you're having a bad time in your marriage. You'll get over it or whatever. And then after my Nana died, my grandpa died two years after she did. Again, he couldn't live without her. It was like a domino effect. And then my uncle died in a car accident a year after my uh, grandpa died. And that was just a car accident, right? But um, still, it was like another blow to the family. And then I guess about a year after that or two, I wanted to find my father because this was, this was, these deaths were on my mother's side. And my grandparents had two, my uncle and my mom, and then they each had one child. So we didn't have a very big family. So I just thought like, wow, they're, I, I want to find family. And I haven't spoken to my father in a long time. My parents divorced when I was three years old. My mom moved back from the Bahamas back to Canada. So trying to find him, you know, Bahamas is pretty small compared to Canada. I thought I wouldn't have any problems finding him. It took two months to locate him. And when I finally did, I was told he died two days earlier. Oh. Yeah, I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. So <laughs> um, oh I'm like, and this was when I had it out with God, like this after that, I'm like, that is it. The gloves are off. And I was just, <laughs> oh yeah, really, really pissed. I, I recommend it to get pissed. If you're pissed with life, then just let life know whether you call it God, Jah, Allah, universe, spirit, same thing. Yeah. What did that look like? What was that conversation and reckoning like? Oh my gosh. Well, I'll tell you, Stephanie. I went to visit a friend in the hospital. She just had a baby and I had felt dizzy. I kind of, like I said, I'm going to faint. You're going to have to hold the baby. I passed out. And to long story short, it was weird. I had, uh, it was like I was in a dream and then in a car accident. And then I saw the light. I was in this light. And I remember feeling love in this light, nothing but love. And there was nothing but light. I was nothing. There was nothing to me but light. And I remember feeling so, words cannot express what it's like to not worry about paying bills or where your next meal is going to come from, how you look, do do I smell okay? To have no body, to be completely formless, it was was amazing. I thought, I'm home, I'm finally home, I'm finally here, I did it, I did it, I made it. And next thing you know, darkness and I can hear voices, and the nurse is trying to get me up off the floor. Of course, I just had this experience. I was too wobbly to really stand properly, and there was nowhere to sit in the hospital. Went to the bathroom, and it came out both ends. 
a week later, I had it out with God because I thought, okay, well, why am I back here in this physical dimension? And I, I heard weird answers like, well, you're funny. I'm like, excuse me? Well, you're amusing. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? And this is when I thought God was crazy because this is what I was hearing. And I said, look, if you're not going to fire me and I can't quit, something must be done. A deal has to be made. And I heard your wish is my command. And I said, don't give me that crap. I've heard it all before. I don't want to be here. I want to be where you are. Well, let's trade places. And then I said, I command you, I demand you, and I dare you. Nothing happened for a long time. Nothing. My life was so boring. Monday to Friday, working eight to four, weekends going out. And for years that went on. And it wasn't until August of 2007 that I started to see the man in black. The man in black is somebody I talk about in the beginning of the book. Mr. Death, if you will. And there he was in my kitchen, plain as day, around 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he wasn't saying or doing anything, but he was like trying to scare me. And I wasn't. I wasn't scared. I thought, if death, if you're coming for me, well, then let's get it over with. But it wasn't anything like that. So it was disturbing to see this um, apparition, if you will, in the kitchen. And I was compelled to write. So I started writing the first time I ever seen this, per this man in black, was, which was in a dream that I had. And the more I wrote, the less I saw him. This went on for a week. And I thought about stop write I thought about not writing anymore. But something said to me, just keep writing, you'll never see him again. And so I did. And I wrote for three years. And then it became a book. And of course, you know, when you're writing, you're still, and it's easier to listen or even hear that, in, that inner voice, that intuition. So I've been letting that lead me ever since and wow. trying to let go of the ego, you know, like, oh, I'm supposed to be a rock star, but here I am as a green counselor. <laughs> <laughs> Let me grief. I'm going to have to do some grief songs, right? <laughs> I have to say for anyone listening, like, and we've had so many different versions of this in the conversations that I've had with people to anyone who's listening, who's like, that's crazy. This, this woman is clearly crazy. Like I've mm -hmm. had since my loss, I've had such incredible and indescribable experiences. And one of the concepts that really helped me not feel like a crazy person is this idea of energy boundary rupture. And it's from post-traumatic growth work where it's like the trauma is so intense that it ruptures the boundaries between realms or consciousness or energies. And so I feel like when these things happen, it's like, it makes you feel a little crazy unless, like you said, you had already been reckoning with God and you were already like making these requests and, and you had been through so much loss and so much grief. But to anyone who hasn't experienced it, it's just when the trauma is so intense and you're broken so far open, there are so many strange and unexplainable and indescribable things that happen that I sometimes seem crazy and sometimes feel completely normal, just like your man in black. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. And you know what? It took me so long to even talk about this, Stephanie. It, it took me so long. Do you know that the, the publishing company that I, self-published my book they called me out of the blue one day I actually was taking a nap and and so I wasn't prepared for any questions and so I answered I'm like oh this is from you know they can recognize the number and and she was talking to me about it and she said finally well what made you write it 
And I thought, if I tell her it was God or the man in black, she's going to think I'm crazy. And so I pulled a Forrest Gump. I just felt like writing. (laughs) (laughs) And that that pleased her. And I'm like, oh, can I get off the phone now? I just didn't want to answer any more questions. I didn't want to talk about it. Like that it was even out there. Again, when I commanded that power, it did. It was using me in ways. and And I'm conscious of it. But at the same time, I look back and like, that wasn't really me. That was somebody else. That's how it feels anyhow. Yeah. And I think it's so wonderful and great and important that you're sharing it and that we all share these experiences because grief is already so maddening in and of itself. And then you add all of these strange experiences that we have that can be very spiritual, that can feel like we're imagining things or even like the visitations. Like I was very clear in my loss that I didn't want to feel like I was being stalked from beyond the grave. I didn't want the dimes and the feathers and the signs at all. I was one of those people. And one of the last things he said to me was, you won't hear from me again until you reach out to me. And so he appeared in my dreams a few times and he never said a word. And it's, it was so real. Like it, you just you know that you are being visited, that you're having a connection to something, whether you want to call it their spirit or God or energy or whatever it is. And so I think it's really important that we share this stuff so that when other people go through their own version of it, because it's very individual and personal and unique how we experience it, like you're not crazy. You're not imagining things like surrender into that trust and into that strange and unexpected connection or experience. Yeah, and that's exactly why I'm I'm doing this to help other people because I used to feel so sorry for my high school friends. This is when I was in high school that they never experienced a trauma. Life is like a a heart monitor. It goes up and it goes down. And then you can't have one without the other. You have you're going to have to take the good with the bad. So when I'd be in these reflective states, I'd be thinking about I'm grateful that I experience these things at a younger age so that I can move forward so that when I'm older, I'm a little bit more wiser because I've been through it rather than being somebody a little bit older experiencing it. I want to I wanna talk more about your book and your work, but before we do that, I want to hear about you were so young when you experienced all this loss and you were introduced to your own experience of depression and, and suicidal tendencies. What happened? Did you graduate school? What did you do for work? Like what happened between then and where you are now? Mm-hmm. Well, after my mom died, I was I had moved up north to with my aunt and uncle, so I switched high schools. But I vowed that after I graduated high school, I'd leave and go back to Toronto because I grew up in Toronto, so that's what I knew. And that was the only wish my mom really had. Not that it was the only wish she had, but she said, you know, I used to ask her as a child, what do you want me to be when I grow up? And she would answer, whatever you want to be, which I hated. All the kids at school knew what they wanted to be because their parents told them, well, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a policeman. I'm an accountant. That's what you're going to be. And my mom was always whatever you want to be. And I thought, well, that really doesn't help me. And I she says, as long as you graduate high school, because then I would ask her about schools, do you want me to go to college, university? She says, as long as you graduate high school, I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking she doesn't really have much ambition for me. <laughs> but so after I did graduate high school, I did move back to Toronto and I worked 
two jobs. When I was 20, I finally got my own bachelor basement apartment. And this is what I want to share with you. And that was, it was in this apartment that where I saw the, the lights flickering on and off. And at first it was no big deal, but you know, the dimmer switch lights. Well, I had it on a nice dim. I liked it the way it was and it was flickering. And I thought, well, maybe it needs to be adjusted. So I would adjust it. I would dim it a little bit more and it was still doing that thing. And then now I'm fighting with it. I'm literally fighting with the energy. And, and I didn't think anything of it until maybe a week or so later. I thought, could this could be my mom. I said, mom, if that's you. I know you're there. You're freaking me out with the lights because I, I, gave, I gave up with the ceiling light and I turned on a lamp and was doing the same thing. Like it, the, the flickering was following me around. And then I was watching Oprah this one day and she was talking about how when she was a little girl in school, she handed in a book report much earlier than the due date and became the main discussion in the teacher's lounge. And as I'm listening to this story for the first time, I'm hearing a voice a woman's voice, my mom saying, you should write her a book report for the one that you didn't do in school. (laughs) That's what I heard. And at first I'm like, no, I'm not hearing my mom tell me to write Oprah book report. A, I'm a grown woman. Women don't write book reports. And B, why would I, like, it just seemed absurd. And I kind of pushed it out of my head. Well, the book that I write, the subtitle is a book report from Miss Winfrey. When I did the subtitle, I had, wasn't thinking about that memory. And I just know she's with me in spirit because what the universe was communicating to me this one day was that when, you, we, when we cross over, what has happened, what is happening, what's going to happening is already happening. Time ceases to exist. So... In the fifth grade, I had a book report assignment. I didn't know what a book report was, so I didn't do it. And I never told my mom about it. My teacher never, you know, told my mom I didn't do this report. Otherwise, she would have made me do it because my mom used to make me do homework, even if I didn't bring any home because my grades weren't very good. And so what I got out of that was when my mom crossed over, she saw that I hadn't done this book report because she was in the no time zone, right? At uh, ultimate reality, I should say. And so she was behind partly of me writing. She, I believe, was behind the man in black to promote me, to get me to write. I, I wouldn't put it past her to do that. Like if she were to show up, honestly, if she were to show up in my dream and say, hey, you should write a book report, I would be like, that's crazy talk. Trust me, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. But because something so unusual and scary to me seeing this, you know, apparition in the kitchen, just trying to scare me, although he didn't, because I'm like, bring it. I'm not as scared of you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's, I know it's, it sounds like a crazy story and it is, it is a crazy story. It is, but that doesn't make it any less real. Yeah. Yeah. So this is why I, I have a lot more respect for authors and storytellers. Because unless you're there, unless you've experienced it, how do you know? It's just my truth against your truth, you know, but then the truth is there are more than one truth. Yeah, yeah. That can be a mind trip. I feel like for a lot of people, truth is very subjective and it's always changing, like depending on our experience and 
Yeah. So tell us more about the book and all the work that you're doing now and how you really got started with it. Yeah, like I said, I was motivated by the apparition. I started writing and noticed that it was very healing. After my cousin Nikki died, I didn't get any counseling. What I did instead was I moved to the Bahamas for a couple of years. I just wanted to get out of the house, out of Canada, and just kind of get to know me. So when I came back, after spending a couple of years in the Bahamas, the writing just became a compelling thing that lasted for three years. And it's funny because I don't think I've ever sat still that long ever, even when I would you know, go to the library and read a book. And just so many ahas, you know, oh, yeahs. I like to call them oh, yeahs moments because <laughs> I'd be sitting there saying, oh, yeah. For example, I'd hear a voice, the intuition say, Martika, you're rich you know, and always have been. And I'm like, what? Well, go read part one over again. In the book, I say, I asked for a bike. I got a bike. I asked for a pet. I got a pet. I asked for siblings and I got siblings. Not from my mom, though. And and that voice says, you're getting everything you're asking for. Did you pay for that? No. If that isn't being rich, I don't know what is. And I sat and I thought about it for a moment. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> Ask and you shall receive. And then I looked at my surroundings thinking I'm not asking for very much. But then I did ask for money. I did ask for money when I was younger. And then when my grandparents died, I got an inheritance. I stopped asking the universe for things after that. because. You can't put a price on people's lives because, you know, people would, oh, you got an inheritance. You know, you're so lucky. And I said, am I? Somebody died for me to get it. And then they'd shut up. I'm like, it's not a lotto. I didn't win the lotto. I did not feel good about this inheritance. I didn't want to get rid of it. It was like blood money. And so I'd ask spirit, what should I do with this money? And I heard a voice said, invest in yourself. I didn't understand it. You know, months and years would go by. What should I do with this money? Invest in yourself. I didn't understand it. Again, what should I do with this money? Invest in yourself. What the heck do you mean? And then the voice said, okay, Martika, let's say you have three months to live. And then they started to freak out. What? I only have three months to live. <laughs> no, no, no. Just pretend you have three months to live. What would you do? I thought, oh, I travel. Travel was the first thing I wanted to do. And there was a bunch of other things after that. But guess what? I did travel. I backpacked it to Europe for two months, and I went to France, Spain, Italy, and Portugal. My only regret was that I didn't stay longer because it was beautiful there. I love the lifestyle. It's so different from over here. It's more family first, work second. Yeah. Over here, it's work, 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 and then family and friends. And yeah, so... But, um, and then I came back and I did some work and I moved around a bit and I went through my thirties, got married, divorced and still trying to figure it out. And then I stayed with my aunt and, and uncle for a bit. And then after Nikki died, that was in my early thirties. And when Nikki died, I just like, okay, I'm going to go to the Bahamas for a couple of years. I didn't see counseling to be helpful at that point. I just wanted to, and that's one of the I don't know if it's called a symptom or result. Sometimes when somebody dies, you just kind of want to move away and just rediscover yourself. That's what I did. And of course, I wanted to get to know my father's family. 
And that's where they were. So it seemed to be like a perfect thing to do. And of course, when it's a big decision, like moving to another country, I did ask for guidance from a source higher because I was getting a lot of, oh, that's a big decision. Are you sure? And this and that and the other. And I'm like, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm just going to do it. You know, a lot of people didn't want me to. And I knew why, because their lives would have to change because I'm not going to be part of the picture. They would have to do their own cleaning, for example, or cooking or something. Right. So you just do what you got to do. I don't regret it. I don't regret anything in life. You're going to have your ups and downs. You're going to have your good days and bad days. But this is what makes you. This is how you learn. So I don't I don't regret any of it. I know I'm going to keep learning. I just hope I don't experience so much death anymore. But, you know, that's just inevitable. If you could go back and talk to 15 year old Martika, what is what is one thing you'd want her to know? Um, that everything's going to be okay and that what you're feeling is okay. Yeah, I wouldn't change anything. I would just say it's going to be okay. Just know that you're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. It's so hard to know that <laughs> when you're going through it. <laughs> no, I know. No, it's easier saying, it's easier said than that. And I have to remind myself because I tell my friends or whomever have faith faith is believing in the unseen. And yet I I had to take up until recently, I was working in a nursing home in the housekeeping department while trying to get all this going and learning a lot of lessons there, learning a lot about dying in the nursing home. So I could say, no, not just about death, but dying as well. And dying is just like birth. You know, people die differently. Some people like drag it on and other people just go like that. And some people are really, really happy about it. And they know they're going to go, but they don't tell you. And uh, <laughs> they're like, oh, that's why Corey was really happy <laughs> yesterday. He knew who was going to go. <laughs> Sneaky bastard. <laughs> so, and it just, for me, like more, the more I know about it, the less it, I'm fearful of it. I could joke around about it. And I just tell people how I would talk about how you'd like to go. I wouldn't mind going laughing or being loved to death, that sort of thing. I used to think going in my sleep would be the best way. You're 80, 90 years old. You've right. done a lot in your life. You're at a family function, let's just say, just to keep it simple. So you go to take a nap and they go to wake you up and, oh, you're not waking up. And, and at least everybody's there, right? But I thought that'd be boring, wouldn't it? At the funeral, well, how'd she die? She died peacefully. Like, how many times have you heard that? <laughs> I, want, I want to go in a funny manner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always think of, for me, I'm like, well, it would be nice to go quickly and, and painlessly. And also, I want to be one of those people where they're like, she was doing what she loved. I don't want to fall off a mountain or anything, but... <laughs> Well, you never know. And of course, I used to talk about that with men. Like I used to have these conversations, like, how would you like to go? And about, I'd say way more than 50%, maybe 80% wanted to go having sex. That was their way of wanting to go. And I'm like, that is so typical. And I said, you know, that is great. I would say to this one guy, I said, that is great. But what if the person you're with wants to go the same way and she dies on you? How would you feel? <laughs> would you still want to have sex? Oh, and they're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I'm like, well, yeah, maybe you should. <laughs> Feelings. Oh, I, I wouldn't want to go having sex, but I mean, maybe just after that, but <laughs> no. That's but, hilarious. Uh, oh my gosh. I love you. Well, we're going to link to everything in the show notes, but before we wrap up, tell everyone where they can find you and how they can learn from you and how they can work with you. 
Okay, thank you. You can find me at grievewithease.com. That's my website. And there you'll hopefully learn some of the stages and see other podcasts that I've done with people that have helped assist with dying and how they have grieved. So, but yeah, uh, grievewithease.com is where you can reach me. And also you could get a copy of my book uh, for free. It's an ebook. It's on the homepage. You just uh, uh, put in your name and yeah, get a free ebook. Awesome. Martika, thank you so much for being here and sharing your journey and all the wisdom and humor that you've gained as a result. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv slash free, including access to an eight-week sampler of our renowned journey mapping program. That gives you instant access to impactful training lessons, life-changing exercises, and our signature AccuSesh processes that you can implement immediately. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community, so please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.